is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I welcome Betsy Atkins to the show. Betsy, welcome. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be with you. Oh, I'm delighted. We're going to dive into a great conversation about the professional value of serving on a board and how to navigate finding a seat at the board table. So, Betsy, you are a three-time CEO, a serial entrepreneur, and I say that with a smile on my face. You've got 28 public boards on which you have served and 60 private boards. You have such depth and breadth of experience in this area. But for our audience who may not understand the value of serving on a board, help us unpack that. Why would someone want to be on a board? Well, first of all, I think that there are a big range of board opportunities. So there are nonprofit boards. There are private company boards, there are association boards, and then the ones you think of, the big public corporate boards. And I, I think part of inspiring your listeners is to think that they can go for anything, and why shouldn't they aim high? And if this intrigues them, and they like the idea of being part of a decision-making body and an oversight body, and, and they feel they can add value, then a board could be a great fit for them. Absolutely. And it can further their professional experience and enhance their leadership. Would you agree? I think that uh, to depending on which board you're joining, absolutely. So you would typically start with maybe a not-for-profit board, uh, an association board, and then work in private corporate boards as you work your way towards public. And you do learn a lot as a leader. You see how uh, the dynamic of, of decisions are made, the trade-offs on where do you invest, where do you acquire, how will the company grow. It, it brings your view and your lens to a much higher level lens than perhaps as a, a senior leader in a corporate setting, you might just be in your one functional area, whether it was finance or marketing or product development. So it gives you a holistic view. Agreed. It's such an interesting time as we see a generational shift in the workforce. And so many of our younger professionals are assuming leadership roles rather quickly. And some of them don't come with the training and development uh, to really hone their leadership. But I believe that uh, many young professionals can develop those skills on boards. So what does board membership provide that perhaps other training and development opportunities don't? Well, board membership, particularly in a um, not-for-profit as a starting point, or a private corporate board as a starting point, it provides you the opportunity to be really um, thoughtful about the strategy of where the organization is going and to think more broadly than your one functional area. Or if you are a general manager of a division of a corporation, you know, you're focused on, you know, your area as opposed to the global holistic enterprise. Uh, so if it's a not-for-profit, let's say it's, um, you know, um, the United Way, you're thinking about fundraising and how to, you know, help that company's mission. If it's um, a private 
uh, corporate board in the service or product area, you're thinking holistically about that whole enterprise. If it's a public company, again, you're thinking typically it'd be not only holistic, but global because public corporate boards tend to do about half of their revenue outside the U.S., so it's, it's a global market that they're seeking to compete in. Now, Betsy, your new book is called Be Board Ready, The Secrets to Landing a Board Seat and Being a Great Director. So let's step a few paces back. What are some things that a person interested in serving should consider before trying to get on a board? So first thing you have to think about is, what is your unique value pitch, right? Why does somebody want you? Is it because uh, you have a lot of particular industry knowledge? Let's say you're a healthcare professional. So, you know, a healthcare industry, you're bringing domain or industry expertise. Or, um, for example, I would look at myself and say, I would look at a board and say, well, maybe uh, they don't have enough women on the board, so I'll bring gender diversity. Maybe they don't have enough uh, technology, innovation, entrepreneurial perspective, so I would help them think about uh, tech enabling their product or service. So you need to think about what is your unique value pitch. You need to think about what are the attributes, skills, experiences that you would bring to the boardroom. So that's step one. You know, why are you valuable? Why do they want you? Help us understand, because in some scenarios, professionals are recruited, right, whether it's a nonprofit or a corporate board because of their unique value. And then in some scenarios, as you said, you're pitching and you're putting yourself out there hoping to be considered. What's the protocol there? So, uh, first of all, your channels, how you're going to get the gig are, like you say, there are search firms. Uh, then there are your colleagues. For example, you know, maybe your um, CEO uh, thinks well of you and would put you forward. Maybe you've presented to your company's board and you could build a relationship with some of those board members to help have them help you. Uh, find an opportunity. And then there are the people who provide services to a corporate board. So the outside law firm, the outside accounting firm, the outside uh, banking firm. So those are all sort of your ecosystem or channels, your colleagues and boss, the service providers to the board and the search firms. And what about being an impactful and effective board member? Because Certainly, your success as a great director can lead to other opportunities, the, the success of the organization, but you know, not being a positive board member also has ramifications. Oh, it definitely does. You're really right. Um, so to be a great board member, I think you need to be really prepared. So the company will give you the materials for the upcoming board meeting, but that's not enough. You need to self-educate. You have to go and do research. So there are the financial analyst reports on your company, your competitor peer set companies, and then there are there are the market research reports from a, a, a Gartner, a Forrester, an IDC. Uh, there are the industry reports. And then there are sort of the thought leadership macro trend reports from McKinsey, Accenture, BCG. So you need to have done your research because as a board member, you're expected to be prepared and know the material the company provides that the meeting is going to be addressing, but you have to bring an informed frame of reference uh, so that you know, you're able to add some value. 
I'm so grateful that you said that, Betsy, because I think that is true even in the small nonprofit community board scenario, if that's how you're going to get your feet wet. You've got to bring your all to the table and be prepared to work and be well-informed and participate. You really need to be a thought leader. You know, uh, as, as you're laying your head on the pillow and going to sleep, you should be engaged and thinking about how does this uh, enterprise do better? Who are our competitors? Uh, what can we do to be more effective? You know, you're a thought leader with the CEO or the leader of the nonprofit. And, you know, if you're really engaged, you're thinking through those challenges and those opportunities. And, you know, if you're passionate about it, it will show. And if you care and if you're engaged, it will show. And they'll know it. And if you're not, they'll notice that too. Absolutely. You know, it's an interesting time when you think about uh, leadership and the board can often challenge the leadership, you know, with accountability and, and thinking outside the box or bringing a diverse perspective. Tell us about that and, and the parameters of being a good board member and, you know, what's appropriate and, and what might not be. So it's a really great question. Um, you're there to be uh, doing oversight for the shareholders to make sure the company thrives and does well. So why do companies disappear? They don't disappear because of financial impropriety anymore. That was WorldCom and Enron. We had Sarbanes-Oxley, all of these internal financial controls. That's not the risk. The reason the companies disappear, and 50%, half of all companies don't exist after a decade, which is shocking, right? Half of the companies get acquired or just aren't relevant. They disappear. So it's because you're not contemporary and competitive. So to me, uh, the thing that you need to focus on is understanding how do you help management future-proof the company to stay innovative and understand what are the future competitive risks. So engaging and asking questions in a constructive way to encourage management to be thinking about some of the uh, future areas where there are opportunities and where there could be risks I think is helpful. But you have to do it measured at the right time. And you have to have the, um, not just the IQ, the intelligence, you need the EQ, uh, the emotional intelligence to know when, you know, your point has been received and you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Don't keep haranguing the, the leadership and the CEO and derailing the board meeting. That will be a negative. Very well put. Betsy, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. So, Betsy, I'd love to pick your brain. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, perhaps you bring diversity to the board as uh, a woman, for example, or a person of color or some uh, different diverse distinguishing factor. 
Tell me about diversity in boards, in particular through the lens of women. Are there enough women on corporate boards? So I think you have to think about diversity, not in terms of identity or perspective per se. It's cognitive diversity. You're really there to have a variety of different perspectives and thoughts. A board is a group of peers, typically around 10 people, uh, for a public corporate board. And so you're looking for, in my mind, yes, you want gender diversity. Yes, of course, you want ethnic diversity. You want industry experience diversity. You need functional skills. That would be like financial expertise, go-to-market expertise, uh, digital and tech enablement expertise. Uh, you need unique industry, whatever that company's industry is expertise. But you also need geographic expertise. Half the companies that are public, no, not more than that. Actually, all the companies that are public, about half of their revenue comes from outside the U.S., yet in the U.S., almost all 10 people on this hypothetical board are North American U.S. citizens. So you need cognitive diversity that represents your global markets. Uh, you need a, you're there to help management think about the risks help management think about the opportunities, think about the decisions to invest in different areas of the business and make those trade-offs. And having cognitive diversity around the table comes out with the best decisions. So I define diversity not in terms of only gender, but cognitive diversity. Thank you for that clarity. Betsy, let's go deep because I know many of the people listening around the world are saying, I get it. I understand the value, but I'm trying to put it into my own perspective. And you tell such a beautiful story about a nurse who is very aspirational and wants to do more outside of her practice. And she's trying to figure out a way to serve. And she does research to figure out what boards might be most appropriate. Can you walk us through that? I think it's such a powerful example. The, the idea is you shouldn't limit your aspirations. You should always shoot for the stars. And you should always tell yourself, why not me? Why won't I have the opportunity? If I do the work, if I'm diligent, if I'm a thorough, thoughtful uh, person who really engages and does the foundational work to be able to add value, you should try and figure out how to maximize your opportunities in the world. So in this hypothetical example, let's say I'm a nurse. Well, maybe there are healthcare services companies because we all know that we have an aging demographic. There's going to be an increasing need for all kinds of services, whether it's um, rehabilitation services, uh, healthcare care for unique things, whether it's dialysis, uh, ambulatory care, uh, physical therapy care. There's all kinds of services, mental health services, and there's a huge amount of companies, small, medium, and large, that are private in this ecosystem of healthcare services. And you, our hypothetical nurse, actually have a lot of knowledge on how you take care of the patient, which probably none of the people on those small corporate for-profit healthcare services businesses that I gave a list of 
They probably don't have any nurses on their board. So why wouldn't you be able to add that valuable insight of the actual last mile customer engagement, how to deliver care in a way that really helps the patient, that differentiates your healthcare services and makes you special and better than the competitive alternatives. So, you know, like we see on TV, the ads all the time for visiting nurse VNA, Visiting Nurses Association. It's a big franchise that give home health care to your aging, you know, parent or colleague or friend. Well, I wonder, I'm betting, I don't know, I didn't look, but I bet there's no nurse on uh, Visiting Nurse, you know, Care of America. And so my point is you shouldn't limit your aspiration. If you have that passion and that drive, there is a lane for you to navigate. That is a great story. Thank you for sharing that example. So you are an expert in governance, board governance, corporate governance. Help us understand what that is and what our responsibilities are as prospective board members to be up to speed on on corporate governance, especially if we're a first-time aspirational board member. So I think it's, it's an opaque and a little bit unusual field. Uh, board board service. So first of all, there is a lot of information out on the web and the National Association of Corporate Directors, which is America's biggest organization, is a big repository of that. So you can easily take courses. Uh, there are half-day courses on, you know, the three committees uh, that make up the corporate governance pillars of a boardroom, which is the audit committee, the compensation committee, the nominating and governance committee. And what do those three committees do? Uh, what is the role of the board for the shareholders? What kinds of decisions do boards make? They approve the annual operating plan. They approve the strategy of the company. Uh, they approve uh, acquisitions or divestitures. They approve the compensation uh, plans. Um, and getting that overall framework so that you understand it. But basically, if you boil it down, there's three real duties of a board member that are defined. You have a duty of care to the shareholders, a duty of loyalty to the shareholders to make informed business judgments on behalf of the shareholders. Those are the three legal requirements of a board. So what does that mean? It's gobbledygook. A duty of care. You have to be careful, thoughtful, informed. You have to get all the information, do your homework, arrive at the board meeting well-informed, you, you reviewed the materials, uh, you looked at outside information. So that's your duty of care, so you're making informed decisions. Duty of loyalty. You can't do something that enriches you at the cost of the shareholders. So let's say I own the building and I want the company to lease my building. Well, I'm self-enriching at the cost of the shareholders. Even if my building is being rented more or less at the same uh, cost, you shouldn't do it. Looks bad. There's a conflict of interest. It's not good for the shareholders. It's not good for the board. You know, you can't do anything that might self-enrich or something that would be to your interest but could disadvantage the shareholders. That's your duty of loyalty. And then the big thing you're there to do is to make judgments, business judgments. And that's where the cognitive diversity comes in as well. Yes, exactly. 
Brilliant. Let's let's wrap with with a, an interesting look at the multi generational workforce. You know, there's there's clear value in folks who are retiring and maybe moving into a second act of their career in service, in that they have wisdom and expertise and life experience that they bring to the table. But what about the flip side? What is the earliest point where you should start to think about being on a board? And and I take your point uh, very seriously about easing in, perhaps with nonprofit or community boards to get your feet wet and learn the ropes. How early can one start that? Um, You know, I think if you are uh, a tech uh, or an entrepreneur that has founded their company, you should be on the board. I joined my first board at 28. I wrote my first business plan, got the venture investment. And I said, I'm that's a condition of investing. I want to serve on the company I have founded. Generally, uh, board membership, you know, much before your 40s is unusual. You might see board members uh, in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s. Um, I think that it is valuable and makes a lot of sense to have millennials in the boardroom, particularly if the product or service is targeted to that marketplace. Just like I always laugh when I see cosmetic companies and, you know, there's there's no women on the board. It's all men. It's like, are they wearing the lipstick? <laughs> so true. So true. Betsy Atkins, what a joy to have you on the show. The book is called Be Board Ready. And the subtitle is The Secrets to Landing a Board Seat and Being a Great Director. I really learned a lot from you today, and I'm grateful for your experience and your wisdom. And of course, the book is available on Amazon and major book retailers. So I would encourage our global audience to check it out. Betsy, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And if you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps people find us online. Let us know what career-minded issues you would like for us to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And I want to give a special shout out to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, our Executive Producer. Thank you for the extraordinary work you do to make this show compelling for our audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.